From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. And I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast. This episode was recorded on December 1st. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. How you doing, Beth? I'm fine. How happy, are you? Happy December. It's December. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I feel like we say that every episode. <laughs> I'm a very there, positive person. There are new things that come out every episode where you say, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I think we should acknowledge that. That's true. How was your reading month? It was okay. It, it actually slowed down a little bit. I had some interviews scheduled, but not as many as I had had in prior months. So I feel like I'm I'm almost to a catch up time. Is that does that make sense? Right, because you said October is not good for you. Usually, it typically is not. But it was you did have a pretty good October anyway. But November for me was a lot of nonfiction. Nonfiction. Oh, that's November. right. I forgot. I did, that. It was not by choice, just by accident. And it was good. It was a good, pretty pretty decent reading month. Good. So what were some of the nonfiction titles that you read? Okay, so my first book I want to talk about this month was a complete surprise to me. I did not know anything about it. I did not see it coming. It is called Saved by a Song by Mary Godier, and she is a singer-songwriter. Anyway, I went to the Bartlett Arboretum for Tree Fest at the beginning of November. It was the first Sunday of November down at the Bartlett, and she was one of the featured artists. She was performing there. And she sang uh, songs that she had written, and she also read from this book that just came out this year. And it's about kind of the creative process. It is uh, about her journey as an adopted person and the trauma around adoption and the whole search for her birth parents and things like that. She also works with soldiers and veterans sort of write about their experiences and use the creative process as a healing mechanism. This book, it was just, it was really, really well written. And then I thought, why, you know, why wouldn't it be? You know, a songwriter has to cut to the chase and be very, you know, efficient with words and tell stories. And it just makes sense that this would be a wonderful book. But anyway, it is extremely, extremely well written and just a a fabulous memoir. That's called Saved by a Song by Mary Godier. My first selection that I'm going to be talking about, it's called The Memoirs of Stockholm Sven, and you would think that it would be nonfiction because, you know, it's memoirs, right? But it's a fiction memoir. It's a novel. It's a novel, and it's by Nathaniel Ian Miller. And when I started reading this, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect because, you know, I avoid blurbs. I avoid jacket copy. I avoid all of those things. But it's about this man, and, he, you know, this takes place – in, you know, Sweden, Finland, that area, and even north of there in the Arctic Circle. And it's a, it's about this man and his journey. He leaves Stockholm because he decides to work in the, in the mines. And then, like, there's this terrible accident, and he is completely disfigured. So he goes to live in this hut. And I don't want to give anything away. I'm not selling this very well. But this was one of the most amazing and rewarding books that I've read all year. I loved this book. What what made you read it? Were you did you interview the author? Did I did. Was, okay. Nathaniel Ian Miller is the author and he he actually wrote this book, I believe he did a writing residency at sea on a boat in the Arctic Circle, if I remember right. Stockholm Sven is an actual person. He did live in this like hut 
in this godforsaken part of the end of the world. So um, Nathaniel Ian Miller saw where he lived, but, you know, I don't know that we really know that much about Sven other than, you know, a few rumors here and there. And so he filled in the blanks and really just gave such a beautiful, gave us just such a beautiful story. That's awesome, though. I remember you talking about this book either as you were reading it or right when you finished. And I remember you being super impressed by it. And you read a lot of books, so. I remember calling my daughters saying, you guys need to read this book. Um, One of them, you know, she keeps buying them up for Christmas presents. So if you are on her list, don't listen to this because you're probably getting the memoirs of Stockholm Sven. That's awesome. But yeah. And it sounds like a good wintertime book. Yes. It felt very cold. Snowy locale. (laughs) Yeah. It felt very cold. It's The Memoirs of Stockholm Sven by Nathaniel Ian Miller. Cool. Okay, so my next one, another nonfiction, and this was inspired in part by some of the news that I've been writing lately regarding critical race theory and lessons about racism and things like that. You may have heard in the news or elsewhere of a book called Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, and it's by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. Now, Ibram X. Kendi wrote his original book, Stamped from the Beginning, sort of about the history of America with all of its warts and all sort of ugliness surrounding slavery. The one I read was the middle grade to young adult version of that book, and it's sort of retold by Jason Reynolds, who is the author of a lot of really uh, sort of contemporary middle grade fiction. Anyway, I was tempted to read it just because it's been talked about so much. It's hugely controversial. It's one of these books that is showing up on lists where parents are challenging them and things like that. So I wanted to read it. It is a relearning and sort of it really widens your perspective about American history. I mean, they go into the founding of the country, all of, you know, the good and bad of Thomas Jefferson. And but also it should be said the good and bad of, you know, historical figures of all races. I mean, they talk about Frederick Douglass and, you know, uh, sort of the differences between um, assimilationists and true anti-racist and anti-slavery advocates. I'm glad I read it. (laughs) I mean, I think I I truly believe that if, you know, you're going to have questions about a book or challenge a book, you, you really need to read it and need to know what's in there. I do think that the overall message of this book is that, you know, there are, you know, good and bad people of all races and cultures and different backgrounds and that, you know, any sort of generalizations of people is not a good thing. There are some definite controversial takes on American history in here. Again, I, th- I think it was well worth reading. I should uh, note here that I'm referring to my my reading life journal that I mentioned in a previous episode. <laughs> so I'm looking at my notes about this. So I wrote down a quote in, in my memorable quotes um, section here. He says, this is Ibram X. Kendi, in writing Stamped, I did not want to just write about racist ideas. I wanted to discover the source of racist ideas. Later, he says, there are lazy, hardworking, wise, unwise, harmless, and harmful individuals of every race, but no racial group is better or worse than another racial group in any way. So it was just, it was fascinating to sort of unlearn, relearn so much about what I thought, what was true about the founding of America. Written at the level that it's written, it's extremely interesting and important and well worth the read. So that's stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. So my next one is a novel called Never, titled Never, by Ken Follett. And Ken Follett, most of you might know him for Pillars of the Earth, 
I interviewed him for Marginalia, and I should also say, before I actually hit record, he said to me, I like the name Marginalia. So, ah, thank well, you. it is a good name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in never in the like the author's note before the book begins, he says that when he was doing research for one of his other books, he discovered that you know all of the world leaders who were involved with World War One did not intend for that to happen. Nobody wanted a world war, but it was just one bad decision after another, and we ended up with that war. And he wondered if if something like that could happen again. And so that's where Never comes about. It, it's 800 and some pages. Um, well, it's a Ken Follett novel. That's so. true. It starts with DEFCON 5. And I asked him about it, like, can you describe DEFCON 5? Because it's it's kind of a little bit foreboding for that to be at the chapter head and we see where we are. Yes, we want to stay at DEFCON 5 always. But what does that say that that's the chapter head of chapter one? So anyway, never. It, it's contemporary. It takes place in so many different countries. It's fascinating. I loved talking to him about his writing process. And, um, you know, it, it brings in the very plausible possibility of, of nuclear war. And so it was just a really fantastic, quick, not quick read, quick paced Propulsive. <laughs> Propulsive fiction. <laughs> Suzanne makes fun of me because I can never <laughs> say that word. But, um, yeah, Never by Ken Follett. He seemed pretty delightful, too. He was. We spoke on Zoom. He is Welsh, and so it was— and Yeah, so a really cool accent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I did ask him how many books he has, and he understood my question to be how many books are there in print, which is fine because that's an interesting answer as well. 181 million books in print. Wow. Right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and he, in all different countries, all different languages. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so my next book is, again, I, I guess this was my month for bookish serendipity, like I said, because this one is one that um, a friend of mine years and years and years ago at a book club gathering, we were going around the circle, as one often does at a book club gathering, and saying, What's, you know, one of your favorite books? What's a book that you would suggest to everyone here to read? And my friend Denise said, Home Cooking, A Writer in the Kitchen by Lori Colwyn. I had never heard of this book. It's sort of a foodie memoir. And anyway, I sort of made a mental note of it. I've thought about it many times since. And then I was in my independent bookstore the other day, shopping around and looking around. And there's a brand new edition of this book. And this is how they get you, Beth. <laughs> There's this beautiful new paperback edition of the book that just published with a foreword by Ruth Reichel. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's all That's all it took for me to finally pick this up. Find, you know, it was like right there. And, uh, yeah, I picked it up and I started reading it immediately. And it was an absolute delight. This woman, Lori Colwyn, is just sort of – you're sort of all-American home-cooking person. She's not – you know, a trained chef. She's just a person who likes to cook. And it's sort of organized uh, like a, a collection of essays. If you wanted to just pick this up and read a little bit at a time, you do not have to read it from, you know, page one to the end. But I did because it was so just funny. There were several times when I was reading it and I just had to tell someone, oh, listen to this one, listen to this, <laughs> listen to this. Like you and I will both appreciate this quote. I am never on a diet regime I cannot be talked out of. <laughs> she was just talking about like how easy she is to feed. She is just not picky. 
you know. And But what I loved about this especially, it's recipes. There are definite recipes in there. She also talks about her kitchen disasters, mm. the nightmare uh, dinner parties where everyone ends up saying, uh, good try, Lori, but it's time to order a pizza. You know, you, you, this was ridiculous. Um, so just the fact that, it, you know, she's very not self-deprecating, really, but just really honest about like not every time, you know, that you're going to try something, is it going to be great? Or you're going to go through these phases of your life where cooking is not fun or something happens and, you know, it's just not going to turn out right. So you know, just the fact that she talks about the disasters along with the, the successes, the failed dishes, that's the best part of the book to me. So I just loved her whole approach. I loved, loved, loved her sense of humor. Um, I would recommend this book to anyone who enjoys cooking or food in any way. It would be a fantastic gift book for the holidays. Um, so anyway, that is Home Cooking, A Writer in the Kitchen by Lori Colwin. And I wanted to add it was published originally in the 80s, I believe. It was uh, 1988. Okay, so my next book is another novel, and it is titled The Family by Naomi Krupitsky. And we talked about this in passing before just because it's, um, it's about two mob families and they're the, these daughters who grow up next door to each other. They grow up almost like sisters and just their life in the Italian mob in New York City. So it's like The Family. That's yes. how you should say it. And you should do your fist like this. The family. I'm just going to let you say that for me. <laughs> the family. But I interviewed um, Naomi for this book, and it was a wonderful interview. She reminded me so much of Maggie Smith, that, you know, that Goldenrod interview. The poet? Yes, except I don't know why. I don't know if it was just it was her tone or just how well-spoken she was. That was just an absolutely delightful interview. So... I'm not going to give anything away about the book because, you know. I love a mob movie. I mean, the Godfather movies are favorites of mine, Goodfellas, stuff like that. But I don't think I've ever read a mobster novel. I'm not talking. I'm not giving any spoilers. So no I'm spoilers. looking over my back the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it sounds great. Yeah. So that's The Family by Naomi Kropitsky. Okay, so my next novel is one that in our last episode, Chris Stevens from Watermark Books was here, and she said that one of the books they were hand-selling quite a bit uh, there at Watermark Books was Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan. What she didn't say is that this is a book you can read in one sitting, and I love these books. So it's almost a novella, really, but this story it was not oversold. Let's put it this way. I mean, she, I remember Chris saying her writing, you can just see through her writing or, you know, it just disappears on the page. I loved that. That's absolutely true. I had not read any Claire Keegan before this. It was fantastic. She's an Irish author. This is about family and social class and religion and um, doing the right thing and, and trying to weigh the consequences of your decisions. Um, but one of the things I, I have to make the comparison to Stoner. You know how I loved oh, Stoner yeah. by John Williams. And this had that same sort of quiet kind of everydayness about it. Uh, it's set in the holiday season, which, of course, makes it a good holiday read. But more than that, the, the main character, Bill Furlong, is – you know, just telling about, well, it's a third-person narrator, so so this omniscient <laughs> narrator tells about his life, uh, but just sort of the, 
like I said, the everydayness of it. He says at one point, what would life be like, he wondered, if they were given time to think and reflect over things? And he just has this sort of cerebral approach to his life, but is also kind of frustrated by no one else doing that, by no one else being you know, grateful for what they have or truly reflecting on what they have and seeing how lucky they are. So there's all of this sort of back and forth between him and his children. His wife and his children are kind of like, you know, this is what we know. And and yes, of course, we're lucky and we're blessed. But, you know, of course, we're going to go and shop for our fancy Christmas dinner or whatever. And he's thinking about the less fortunate and things like that. It had almost, like I said, sort of a, a stoner, the novel stoner quality to it. Um, also kind of Christmas Carol-like, mm-hmm. not fantastical in any way, but there's definitely a climax where he needs to decide something and he makes a decision and, you know, and he knows what the consequences of that are going to be. I'm not going to give anything away because, again, you can read this in an hour and a half. So I highly recommend it as well. Like all the people over there at the bookstore are saying Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan, just a wonderful, wonderful holiday read and, and would be just a great kind of gift book for a lot of people. I read quite a few things for school for my undergrad Undergrad school. (laughs) Um, One I actually get to check off in the James Mustick's Thousand Books to Read Before You Die list is Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. But then I don't know. I I know you remember when we talked about The Dead and I said that it wasn't included. And then Mr. Mustick's like politely corrected me and, and said, actually, I mentioned it as it's the last story in the Dubliners, which is included. And if you read nothing else by James Joyce, do not forsake the dead because it's the it's the best thing written in English. I'm paraphrasing here. It's the best thing written in the English language ever. Yeah, he definitely s- says something to that effect. Yes. That, yeah, if you read anything, read this. So, right. Yeah, definitely so mentioned. I did. I read it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh, really? Because uh, this was—I so, thought you were going to say, "Well, I read it, and it is well. so good." Wait, Heart of Darkness is? No, The Dead. Oh, The Dead. We're okay. We're t- oh, we're talking. Did about I not the move dead. on? No. <laughs> I thought I did. Well, did you? I saw Heart a couple, of Darkness. A couple but... of things and another one. Okay, sorry, I did not follow. What did you think of Heart of Darkness, though? Um. That was for class? That was for class. And The Dead was not for class? The Dead was for class. Oh, God, you read a lot for class. But I do not get to check it off because I did uh, not read all of the Dubliners. Oh. So well, I have to read the whole collection tight. and then I'll be able to check it off. Okay. But after I've finished The Dead, now I want to go back and read Dubliners. Is Dubliners a, a collection of short stories? Yes. How long is The Dead? It's more, well, it's a long short story. Like a novella, sort of? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, I, maybe I should finally read it. So this, so you do get to check off, too, though. That's pretty well, cool. Well, not yet. I have to read all of Dubliners know, first. But, but that's okay, because yeah. I read The Dead. I wrote a paper on it wow. and turned it in yesterday. I made my short story group read it, and it was just, if you should have oh, been there. Oh, is this the Ennui group? Yes, the Ennui. And it was just, <laughs> everybody just was like, oh, wow. This is just the best story ever. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> really? It is It is so lyrical. And, and, you know, he was a poet before he was a short story writer, before he went on to, you know, write his novels like Ulysses right. and Finnegan's Wake. And well, there's so much criticism about L- Ulysses and, and um, 
yes. train of thought, or what's it called, a stream of consciousness writing and how confusing it is. Is the dead not like that? No, it's um, more disassociated discourse. Okay. It's good. Everybody should read. Do not forsake the dead. (laughs) As James Mustick will tell you. And has. And has. Do not forsake the dead. Okay, well, let's go. You know, I am doing so poorly, so, so poorly on my thousand books challenge. I'm going to have to re-up. Re-up that challenge, and we'll talk about challenges, too. Yeah. It's the it's that time of year when we talk about reading challenges, but I have really fallen off the horse with that thousand books to read before you die, so I need to get back on that. But good for you. I'm happy for you, though. <laughs> it helps that I take these classes. Well, no kidding. They sort of force you to, don't they? Yeah. When I sort of read, my, I'm a mood reader, so it's like, yeah, I mean, when am I going to pick up, you know, James Joyce? I should, though, obviously. I think you should. Okay. You've convinced me. Thank you. So my next book, I read uh, a lot of uh, sort of race-conscious writing this month. Um, My Monticello by Jocelyn Nicole Johnson. I uh, have a review on it at kmuw.org. It was my last review. Oh, my goodness me. This is a debut collection of short stories. One novella, which is the title. uh, The title novella is My Monticello. And then then, uh, five or six other stories in this collection. And all of them, not all of them, necessarily had to do with with race but but the premise of my Monticello there is a white supremacist militia uh, that takes over Charlottesville Virginia uh, this was you know obviously inspired by events not too long ago when there was that protest there uh, that ended in a death of one anti-protester anyway uh, so this militia sort of drives people of color out of their neighborhoods and into hiding and the main character and her, family members take refuge in Thomas Jefferson's Monticello estate that has been deserted. It's got this sort of dystopian feel to it, along with kind of issues of race and class and social justice. It's it's fascinating. Uh, the main character also is a descendant of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, the enslaved uh, woman that he had several children with. So there's all of this deep-seated, you know, history and irony going on. But her writing, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. Now, I listened to this on audio through Libro FM, which I highly recommend. The audio book is read by a cast of narrators. The first story in the collection called um, Control Negro was read by LeVar Burton. Oh, wow. And that one has such a twist at the end that I am not going to give away, but I'm just going to say... When you get to the end of that first short story, you're like, okay, I'm with you, Jocelyn. I'm here for the rest of the ride because just fantastic storytelling, fabulous writing, highly recommended. That's My Monticello by Jocelyn Nicole Johnson. In our last episode, I mentioned um, a couple of interviews that I hadn't conducted yet, but now I have, and they are on the website. Um, And they were for two children's books, for two um, picture books. And one was called Amos McGee Misses the Bus by Aaron and Philip Stead. And they won the Caldecott Award 10 years ago for A Sick Day for Amos McGee. And so this is a, a revisitation of Amos. They actually they told me he actually never has left them. He's part of their family. They spend every day with Amos McGee. And so um, that one is, is out now, and it's called Amos McGee Misses the Bus. And the Caldecott is for illustrations? Illustrations, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's right. But they wrote it as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they are a, a husband and wife author-illustrator team. Oh, wow. That has to be pretty fun. Right. 
it was a fun interview. Yeah. And then we also mentioned that I was going to speak with Max Greenfield, Schmidt, Schmidt or uh. Leo from Veronica Mars, or Dave from The Neighborhood. I mean, he has played in so many different roles. What a fun, fun guy. You guys have to listen to this interview. Oh, my gosh. He was just delightful. And I saw, I think it was might have been his publisher, Penguin Books for Young Readers. Somebody from there like retweeted the interview today, and she called him effervescent, which uh, I thought was just perfect. It's perfect, and it's a children's book, right? Yes, he, um, it's a I, children's book. It's illustrated, but there are really no pictures. They're mainly just illustrated words, like typography. Yes, yeah, and wow. it is titled "I Don't Want to Read This Book." That's so. so fun. He just seems so fun, and I love that idea of just like writing for his kids. Yeah, and while I write for them, I'm just going to write for the world of right. kids. So charming. Exactly. So um, those interviews are out there. And I wanted to kind of pivot right now or segue into, you know, we're wrapping up the end of the year. I I will have conducted 57 author interviews this year. That is so impressive, Beth. Thank 57. You. That's more than one a week. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne does some math. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and I wanted to talk about, you know, those interviews are available in the Marginalia podcast at KMUW.org. But also, one thing we tout every year, and you, this is when you say this is the most wonderful time of the year. Yes. It is when NPR releases. I'm hesitating because it used to be called the NPR Book Concierge. This year, they have renamed it Books We Love. It's the only time we can say concierge. <laughs> I kind of miss that. I'll have to say. Books we love makes more sense to more people probably. But it'll always be book concierge to us. But we should mention, explain to readers that it is essentially a searchable database of books. You can find this through a link at kmuw.org, right? Yes. Uh, so if you go to kmuw.org, you can find it. But th- this Books We Love is hundreds of books that were published in 2021 that are categorized. And you can search for one of my book clubs, for instance. I search for book club picks and not very long. Because, oh. <laughs> you know, we have people who don't want to commit to four, to over 400 pages. So, you yeah. Can, yeah, you can filter them. You can filter by topic. You can filter by genre. There are staff picks. There are, you know, longer books, shorter books, um, memoirs, just you name it. I am always, aren't you, just amazed at how many books and how many wonderful books come out in one year? Yes. There are th- more than 360 on this year's list. Yeah. So when you click on a link or when you when you filter down to a certain list of books, you can then click on that book. You get sort of a summary of the book. And then you'll see links to uh, either reviews or author interviews or, you know, the, you know, the NPR Maureen Corrigan reviews or a- any number of you know, things written about those books. It's it's just such a wonderful resource. And you can go back, you know, to previous years as well. It's especially helpful for book clubs, don't you think? I, mean, I do. Uh, and I, they also release at this time of year because it's great for gift giving. Yeah. For, yeah, book buyers. Right. Right. That, yeah, it is it is a wonderful resource. I'm glad it's out. And books I, we love. Book concierge. <laughs> From NPR. <laughs> book concierge. And um, <laughs> we can't do the subliminal flash, <laughs> flash it on the screen thing, but we'll just whisper it really quickly. Book concierge. 
You know, another list I was paying attention to this week because I actually had money writing on it was the um, the, <laughs> the New York Times notable book picks. You know, they, they released the 100 notable books, but then they released five of their top fiction and five of their top nonfiction. Yeah, and uh, I missed it. What what uh, what what did you win? No. Did you, oh no! What did you think was going to happen that didn't, or what did happen that you didn't think would? But concierge. But concierge. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like a good place to stop. <laughs> Wait. So, but, but before we end this fabulous shared microphone edition <laughs> of books and whatnot, not that y'all could tell. I mean, I just came back from South Carolina, which is why I said y'all. Um, so I wanted to plug what's coming up on December 28th, Sunday, December 28th. We are going to unveil the new 12 new categories for the 2022 Read ICT Challenge. And this is going to be our sixth annual challenge. This is the 12 Books in 12 Months Challenge. I am so super excited. Uh, KMUW is a sponsor of the challenge this year, along with the Wichita Public Library and the Wichita Eagle. Beginning on December 28th, we're going to have the list of categories, um, and we'll talk more about that in January, probably. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. It does. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for Books and Whatnot. Until next time, keep turning those pages. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Stancer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org. Thank <laughs> you.